0: Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless, I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century. And by the grace of God was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. Today's flowy selection is entitled Mohammed Peace Be Upon Him. <laughs> The Quran described Muhammad as just a man. While this is true, this is like saying glass is sand. The latter is lowly, opaque, and needs to be subjected to fire so as to gain a degree of purity through which, God willing, one might see the truth of what is visible through life's window. A glassmaker took the potential of a clay lump, twisting and twirling it for some say a day between two fingers of mercy as it became a jewel of beauty to which creation came via the breath of Kun and began to proclaim the message of how to become the Mirror's Tain. Die before you die, he said, was a central seed to instill in our hearts. Indeed, this was a deed that might become a selfless plant of piety, from which fruits of love, prayer, faith, and sincerity would burst forth as blessings for all humanity if we're ready to abandon hypocrisy. He counseled us to pray without ceasing, to be perpetually recalling divinity, to realize the needs for deep humility and modesty before the Lord of majesty, to know that the root of all prayers requires one, to renounce the world of delusion for the one. He is reported to have said we are asleep, and when we die we awake from the haunting deep dream of life as we come to intimately know there is no reality but God, that we owe everything to divinity, the one who sows more blessings into our lives than oceans have drops. He has warned us that we may reflect on all things, but not on Allah's essence. For this surely brings nothing but ignorance and arrogance to minds and hearts that depart from the clearly given signs concerning human capacity and inclines one towards the whispered sweet nothings of deviltry. If you love your Creator, then love creation first. Are words of value for people of station simple and complex, since faith's completion will not take place till we love one another as He taught. Belief won't be perfected unless we have sought sincerely for others what we wish for ourselves. He has told us the Qur'an has an outer sense, yet also has levels of hidden meanings. Hence, one should not be too quick to dismiss mysteries that may only be known by those servants who see by the light of God to the depths of being seen, and carry back to the beach dwellers pearls of grace. This week's short story is titled, Snake Charmer. There was a certain boy living in a village who once had gone to a carnival where one of the attractions was a snake charmer. The snake charmer showed the audience a great time by inducing the snakes in his charge to do all manner of amazing feats. In fact, the tricks were so incredible that they appeared to border on acts of magic Rather than some form of animal magnetism. The young boy was completely enthralled with the show put on by the snake-charmer, and from that moment on wished to become the world's greatest tamer of snakes. Consequently, after the performance was over, the boy approached the snake-charmer, who was quite old, with a proposition. The boy said, Sir, I have greatly admired your demonstration of skills during the show, and I would like you to teach me the secrets of your profession. I mean no disrespect, but, sir, you are advanced in years, and I have inquired about you. Among other things, my investigation has uncovered that you are without any family. When I discovered this latter fact, I thought that perhaps you might be willing to pass on your knowledge to me if I promised to work for you during my period of apprenticeship, I am an orphan who has been living in the stables doing whatever odd jobs are available to earn my keep. So you see, there really is nothing tying me to this town. And if I must work for someone, I would just as soon be in your employment while I learn a trade in which I am deeply interested. The old man smiled when he heard the boy's words and replied. I long have been looking for someone to whom I might pass on whatever little I know about the charming of the snakes. I always had hoped that I might have a son or a daughter to whom I could bequeath this knowledge, but unfortunately marriage and children have passed me by. Yet now it seems we both are in need of one another. Therefore, I accept your proposition. For many years the two traveled together sometimes putting on their shows as independent tradesmen and sometimes doing so in conjunction with carnivals that wandered from location to location. During these years the two became very close and developed great affection for each other. The man serving as the father the boy had never knew and the boy being the child the man always wished for but never had. The man's knowledge about the charming of snakes was extensive. Nonetheless, the boy was very astute and paid close attention to everything the older man said and did. As a result, gradually the boy absorbed every lesson his teacher had to offer. In fact, the boy's interest in and aptitude for the profession was such that he began to excel his mentor in many ways. The old man could not have been happier if the boy were his own son, more and more the old man gave the boy, who was now a young man, top billing, and was content to just do a few snake charming tricks here and there during the show. He preferred to watch his student go about the process of charming snakes, for the young man was so skillful and graceful at his trade that the older man was filled with pride and gratitude for having had the opportunity to pass on his knowledge to someone, as well as to have had such enjoyable, devoted company for the last decade. Eventually, the young man became known far and wide as the greatest snake charmer in the world. His boyhood wish had been realized. Soon thereafter, the old man passed away. This greatly saddened the young man, but he was determined to keep the promise he had made to his teacher just prior to the latter's death. More specifically, the young man had promised his teacher that he would not rest on his own already considerable laurels, but instead the young man would continue to learn all he could about the charming of snakes. As a result, the young man traveled far and wide, not only putting on exciting and amazing exhibitions of snake charming, but also always looking for opportunities to enhance his knowledge and skills. In one location where the young man was conducting a number of shows, he happened to hear about some man who was described as being an individual of deep knowledge and wisdom. The young man decided to seek out this man of insight and see whether or not this person about whom he had heard such wondrous tales might be able to add to the young man's skills and understanding in the area of Charming Snakes. After chasing down a few leads, the young man finally discovered the whereabouts of the alleged wise man's residence. Next, he sought an audience with the man and was very happy when this was granted. The young man was told to return the next day at noon time for some lunch. The young man was so filled with the excitement of anticipation, he hardly could sleep the whole night. For some unknown reason, the young man felt he might obtain information or knowledge during his meeting with the wise man that would help bring his skills to the sort of perfection he long had sought. The following day at precisely noon, the young man knocked on the door of the house indicated in the directions he had received the previous day door opened and the young man was escorted into a study where he was received by a friendly-looking gentleman who was ten years or so older than the snake charmer. After exchanging pleasantries and a few pieces of life history while eating a lunch which had been prepared, the slightly older man said, I have gathered from some of my friends that you are billed as the world's greatest snake charmer. Is that correct? The young man was proud of his skills, but he also had some humility, and therefore replied, Well, I don't know about being the world's greatest snake charmer, but in all my travels I have not come across anyone or heard of anyone who surpasses the knowledge which has been given to me by my teacher, and which I have been able to augment with my own studies. The host smiled and nodded his head approvingly. He said, Do you think you could provide me with a demonstration? For I must admit to not having witnessed such things in my life. And I would be grateful to you for filling in one of the many holes which populate my experience. The snake charmer was somewhat hesitant and responded, Well, I would love to comply with your kind request, but I don't have any snakes with me. And rather than merely demonstrate things with snakes which I use in my show perhaps I should go out into the forest and obtain some truly wild snakes. This general region is rather infamous for the many species of poisonous snakes which inhabit the area, and I am sure that with a little effort I could supply us with some useful specimens with which to give expression to something of the nature of my profession. The host accepted this idea, and the two agreed to meet the next morning at nine o'clock. So the young man went off in search of the biggest and most poisonous snakes he could find. For whatever reason, the young man had some difficulty in finding the species and size of snakes he would have preferred. Nonetheless, he was able to secure a fair variety of venomous beings before nightfall, and he took his catch back to his lodging in order to prepare for his visit the next day. When morning arrived, the young man collected together all he would need to provide a sampling of his skills and knowledge. He then proceeded to return to the older man's residence at the appointed time. Once again, he was warmly received. After a brief conversation while drinking tea, the older man asked, Are you ready to give your demonstration? Should we adjourn to the patio or can you do things right here? The snake charmer indicated, Here is fine, unless, of course, you may have fears about some of these poisonous snakes escaping into your house. The older man laughed and replied, If you feel safe from them, then I also feel safe from them, so please proceed. The young man began to go about his trade. He went through his whole repertoire and even added a few new tricks which he had been working on recently. "'After he was done, he placed all the snakes in protective baskets. "'When he had completed these tasks, he sat down. "'The older man began, "'Well, I am quite impressed with your skills, "'but you know, I couldn't help noticing that the snakes you used "'were not really very large, "'and also noticed that some of the region's more poisonous snake varieties "'were missing from the snakes with which you were working.' Does it make any difference how big the snakes are or how poisonous they are? Could you still charm them? The young man apologized and agreed with the older man that, yes, the snakes that had been used during the demonstration were not all that big, and, yes, he had been hoping to find some particularly dangerous snakes, but due to time constraints, he had to cut his expedition of the previous evening short. He added, however... In answer to your question, neither the size of a snake nor the virulence of its poison makes any difference. I would be able to charm any snake you might care to show me. The older man considered the young man's reply and then said in a very loving way, Well, let me tell you about a snake whose venom is so poisonous and whose size is so large that if you are able to tame that snake, You will be a real sage, and that snake is your ego. The title of this week's musical interlude is Tranquil. From the outback of Australia to the rainforests of South America, from the frozen tundra of Siberia to the plains of Serengeti, from the Himalayans of Asia to the white cliffs of Dover, from the geysers of Yosemite to the glaciers of Antarctica, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcasts. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Well, I suppose all offers can be refused, so I'll amend my opening statement and simply say, I'm going to make you an offer that I hope you won't refuse. I would like to offer you, free, and I do mean free, access to all 40 books that I have written, plus 35 pieces of tree that were composed over the years, as well as five videos and some podcast recordings covering different topics. This is all contained in the Bridge software that is available through my website, www.anab-whitehouse.com. If you go to my website, click the Bridge software choice on the drop-down menu one option and then discover how to download the Bridge software for free, no strings attached. My hope is that you will like what you find in the software, and therefore will be willing to come back and participate in my Patreon campaign to give books to various libraries. But even if you have no interest in supporting the foregoing Patreon campaign, nonetheless, the Bridge software is still yours to have, for your personal reading, listening, and viewing experience, the following essay is entitled "Dependence." For most of us, being dependent on others is an abhorrent, humiliating situation in which to be. We are brought up by design and or accident to be self-reliant and independent. Dependence we feel is a sign of weakness; it is an admission of failure. Dependence carries an aura of childhood about it. We are not able to fend for ourselves. Decisions concerning our lives are made by other people. Rightly or wrongly, dependence seems to be caught up with issues of competence. To be dependent is to reveal some degree of diminished capacity. Dependence has negative implications for self-esteem, integrity, and honor. Dependence raises unsettling questions about identity. Sufi masters tend to take a different slant on the issue of dependence. They contend that, given certain provisos, dependence is actually a spiritually desirable condition in which to be. According to the practitioners of the Sufi path, the experience of dependence can be quite salutary. For example, the ego vehemently dislikes the condition of dependence. This is so for two reasons. First, being dependent creates a negative image problem for the ego. The dependent person is frequently looked down on by others. Dependent people are often treated with condescension and contempt. Dependent people are easily dismissed as people of little or no importance. Dependent people are not considered to be the movers and shakers of industry and society. People of dependence are rarely consulted or sought out for interviews. There is no glitz and glamour associated with dependence. It is not sexy. For all of the foregoing reasons, the ego considers dependence to be something of a public relations disaster. Whenever the hint of a dependence scandal threatens to raise its ugly head, the ego turns the matter over to its spin doctors. A second motive behind the intense dislike of the ego for the condition of dependence involves issues of freedom. The ego is happiest when it can do whatever it damn well pleases. A person in the condition of dependence is, by definition, someone who is under constraint. Such an individual is not free to do whatever she or he would like to do. The extent of the constraints under which an individual operates is an index of that person's degree of dependence. The ego does not handle restrictions well. Consequently, the prospect of dependence is an anathema to the ego. To be cognizant of the various threads of dependence which are woven into our lives is very hard on the ego. This awareness is a painful blow to our pride. Such understanding exposes our vulnerabilities. Our egos feel hemmed in by the restrictions on our freedom, which are entailed by our different dependencies. What is bad for the ego is good for the soul. From the perspective of Sufi masters, the condition of dependence helps put us in touch with some fundamental truths. The understanding which is rooted in these truths is very important to the possibility of making spiritual progress on the Sufi path. The sheikhs of the Sufi way point out that the condition of dependence is, in fact, an accurate reflection of our actual situation in the scheme of things. The more we grow in spiritual understanding, the more we come to realize our essential dependence on God. The air we breathe, the bodies we inhabit, the clothes we wear, the minds with which we reason, the work we do, the friends we have, the food we eat, the families that care for us, the money we spend, the health we enjoy, the talents from which we benefit, the roof over our head, our laughter, the opportunities which are given to us, and so on. All are from God. We are dependent on God for all of them. In this sense, none of us are self-made individuals, no matter how much we might like to suppose so to the contrary. This remains true irrespective of whether or not we acknowledge the presence of the numerous currents of dependence in our lives. Sufi masters recommend we seek independence from everything except God, Things and people are the loci of manifestation of God's grace. They are not the source of such grace. Sufi masters juxtapose two contrasting pictures of the human condition. The more we look to things and or people and or ourselves as a solution to our problems, the more entangled in the world in ourselves we become. Consequently, we will become more deeply immersed in a condition of negative, addictive, and problematic dependence. On the other hand, the more we look to God as a solution to our problems, the less entangled in the world and ourselves we will become. As a result, we will become, God willing, more deeply embedded in a condition of positive, liberating, and beneficial dependence. Dependence is a desirable spiritual condition when the focus of that dependence is exclusively on God. Dependence is an undesirable spiritual condition when one is caught up in the illusion one needs things or people to the exclusion of God. To be dependent on God, however, does not give one the right to dismiss or be arrogant towards the means through which God supports and sustains one. According to the Sufi masters, one should express appreciation and gratitude to the way, be it person or thing, through which God has chosen to lend assistance. To do so helps one to develop in humility. This is something else the ego detests, since humility is tantamount to admitting dependence. Independence is a desirable spiritual condition when it is an expression of the realization of our essential freedom from all except God. Independence is an undesirable spiritual condition, when it is an expression of the illusion that the ego is free from God, as well as from all things. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion.